Let's pray together. Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception in their hearts. May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. Those who say by our tongues we will prevail, our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now rise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. You, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked who freely strut about when, a, when what is vile is honored by the human race. Father, I just pray, God, that as you transition to your message, that as we realize with all the things that's happening around us, even in our own homes, in our relationships, with things that are happening all around the world, we see, God, that the human race is in need of a Savior, Father. I pray, God, that you open up our eyes and ears to see that you will start with us in the small church, O oh God, to see the truth and to live in justice and to live in righteousness, to reflect your heart and to reflect your desires, O oh God. I pray, God, that right now as you get ready to listen to your word, I pray, God, that our ears and our hearts will be receptive to your message, O oh God, that we will not just shema and hear and just hear and turn the other way, one ear to the other, but Lord, speak to us, for shema is an action. For you speak to us and it's a life that you call us to live out in the world to be the light and salt in the places where you have called us, oh God. I pray, God, that we'll not just be hearers of your word, but we doers of your word. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. And God, as you transition now to your message, I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, oh Lord. Help me to speak with your wisdom and with your authority and with your confidence, O oh God, that comes in your name so that you may be glorified, O oh Lord. Take all the glory for yourself in this service. We honor you. We look to you, God, at this time. We love you. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, in my prayer. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. Now, we've been on this Philippian series, and we're on part, part four. And this is going to be a difficult message for I had a difficult time preparing. But it will not be a, a typical message, but it will be more kind of like a study that we're going to be doing. But before we begin, let us have a full understanding of the title first. And as each point unfolds, in the end, it will all come in full circle and it's going to make perfect sense. So please follow as we follow God in this message, in this journey Today, let's begin with today's message, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 18. It says this, the title says, Imitating Christ's Humility. So let's begin, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, they make my joy complete by being like Minded. Can we all say the? Can we all say those two words together? Ready? One, two, three. Like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another. 
had the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Can you say the word mindset? who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Almost done. Verse 12. Therefore, the title says, do everything without grumbling. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked, well, in a fault, I'm sorry, I'm doing it by memory. Uh, the mission team, we, we do a crooked and depraved generation. Without fault in a warped and crooked generation, they will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Okay, long passage out of the Philippian series that we have done, but let's go back to the title. And can we just read the title all together? Ready? One, two, three. The Life-Giving Church. Let us be a life-giving church. Number one, number one, before we say the points, always add the word church. Church, number one, be like-minded in Christ. Be like-minded in Christ, meaning be in the same spirit, meaning have the same mindset as Christ, as Jesus Christ. So the question, what was the mindset of Jesus Christ? It was self-giving. It was self-sacrificing, meaning sacrifice, meaning when we say self-sacrificing, we're talking about sacrifice of one's interest, desires for the good of the other. It was selfless. Let's look at verse 1 through 4 one more time. It says this, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common is sharing the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So let me ask you a question. Or let me ask myself a question. What makes me happy? What makes you happy? I'll tell you some of mine. Mine is, I realized as I was doing this, like it's coffee or mountain, right? It's like drinking coffee. I wrote down, drinking coffee, hot coffee outside in the cold weather by the fire, drinking coffee at the top of the mountain, making coffee at the top, which we did when we went hiking, like watching the sunset at the top of the mountain, and then hopefully not die going down. And so far, it's, again, it's coffee, mountain, and hiking. I like watching classic music, uh, 
not music, movies, like classic movies, and with loved ones, spending time with people. These are some of the things that make me happy a little bit. But let me share with you the true secret to my joy as a pastor, even when I was young, for happiness is temporary. But let me share with you the secret to my joy. What makes me full of joy when I see you, when I see you guys as members, as believers in the church, walking together and encouraging together, that really makes me happy. When I see you guys, when I hear about like when you guys have like fellowship or like sleepovers or things and you guys have great time, when you have clean and awesome fellowship together as fellow brothers and sisters in the church, that's what makes me smile. And I love seeing that. Ever since when I was young, I love seeing when the church is united. Maybe it has to do with witnessing many broken churches growing up. We see churches, pastors leaving, and all these different things. Witnessing all the different things, all the brokenness in our families, broken homes, broken churches. But seeing the people of God, because the church is not just, it's your second family. It, it is your family. We talked about as brothers and sisters. We are families in Christ. So when we love one another, when we don't cheat one another, when we come together and we're united and we see the believers coming together, when you bring food and you share things, when you share drinks, that truly brings me tremendous joy. Even in the Philippines, we witnessed it. Some of these houses that we visited, right? These are very poor areas. They've been affected by the flood and we go in, they literally have nothing. And I've visited some other places in the Philippines where other members, they're uh, more well off. They're richer than the rest, but when, we, when they come together in the church, they bring, remember when they did the potluck on the last day? And they came together, they brought all the food together, we're eating together, it's not, it doesn't matter. You can't even tell who's rich or who's poor. We all come together, and they come together, and it brought tremendous smile and joy, it was beautiful. The poor, the rich, and, and everyone coming together, and we see that that's what a church is. That's why Paul says in verse 2, let's look at verse 2. Then make my joy complete. Again, Paul here, he is in prison. He's talking to the Philippian church. He's saying, then make my joy complete. By what? By being like-minded. Having the same love. Being one in spirit and of one mind. And in Greek, this literally means think and have the same mind. You need to have a sacrificial love for one another, not a selfish kind of love. A sacrificial love that Christ had for us. One in spirit, one soul is describing people who are knit together in harmony. It's having the same desires and passions and ambitions, according to Mac MacArthur commentary. Paul asks, Philippian church, do you know, do you want to know how you will make my joy complete? Do you want to know? He says in verse 3, 4, do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So what is humility? It's putting others' interests above my own. It's about putting others' interests above my own. But when we read this, we cannot get this passage twisted. People read this passage and it does not mean, hey, okay, then, okay, if, if my fellow brothers, sisters, my friends, they want to drink and they want to get wasted, hey, let's get wasted. And then, and then, well, the Bible does say, I should not look to my own interests, but to the interests of others. So, all right, okay, I will go and do it. No, no, that's not what it's talking about. And I'm sidestepping here a little bit. 
But as Christians, as brothers and sisters, we cannot be found compromising together with our fellow brothers and sisters. This is different. The friends you have at church, you cannot be compromising together, getting drunk together outside and, and words, unwholesome words coming out of your mouth just because you're outside of church. That should never be. I remember when I was young, you know, friends, and we had the secret code name for the secret spot, call it like Monkey Land, and that's a place where kids smoke. They smoke weed and smoke cigarettes, and they do all kinds of things, and they would come like high, like to the revival, and it's crazy. They're like getting, you know, they're not even worshiping. It's like a club for them. They're just like, with the fast on, they're just going nuts. And, and naturally, over the years, we grew apart and lost contact. For God placed within me a different desire over the years. So meaning, through this passage right here, we can learn that we have to be very careful of our inner circle, who speaks into your life, who you hang out with, be wise. The Bible is very clear that blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked. The Bible is very clear in 1 Corinthians 15 that bad company corrupts good character. It also says Proverbs 13, walk with the wise and become wise for companion of fools suffers harm. It says 2 Corinthians 6, do not be yoked with, together with believers, unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And we see this all throughout church. Years growing up, compromised. It's not even just about me, me compromising with my friends in the church. Later we grow up, we see pastors using church budget, church budget to buy alcohol, to drink with the members in the name of fellowship. I remember when I was in seminary, and this was a culture shock, because when I was young, you know, I've gotten in trouble before, right? I've had like uh, situations with the driving, my license was suspended when I was young at the age of 17 with UI and things like that. But as you get older, you become wiser and your ways change. And I remember it was a culture shock when I went to seminary in my early 20s when I went. And so many students would get together. When we go to a diner, they order like Manhattan and they were like, and, and there were times where they would gather in a room and they say they lock the door so it's safe and they like have parties and get drunk. They're like, the door is locked. These are seminary students, like pastors, becoming pastors. So for me, when I met God, God gave me a desire to quit and make sure that I will never be in a position where I'm gonna hinder somebody. But I'm talking about pastors who are studying to be pastors and they said they opposite gender, they go and they, and for me, that was a culture shock because yes, I used to do that, when I was younger, or before I knew of God and who God was before God was in my life. But to see that in the name of fellowship, and, and over the years you see the danger of the culture and the generation that we're living in. You know, there was this big revival event that they had you know, in this area, and there was a guy who gave a powerful testimony sharing about how he like survived, like even with the 911 and his testimony of how his life changed. And you know, a few months later, I was with the youth group kids and they're like, hey, wasn't that the guy he gave the testimony? And I was like, oh, it wasn't. He's, also, he's like, he's, you know, he's on the phone. He's like, like, he was like loud and like he was like, like he was like cursing and he had cigarettes and they're like, whoa. And I was like, oh, that's no good. 
Because when you're given a platform, when you're given a position where you're gonna, you cannot be in a position where you can hinder somebody, especially a young believer. Why I choose, again, for me, for me, why I choose as a pastor or choose not to drink or to, or to smoke cigars because I never want to be in a position where I want to hinder a younger believer. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 through 13, it says, Paul, he says, he says, be careful that the exercise of your right does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone, someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened, to, meaning encouraged to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge, when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak consciences, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. So how does this tie with humility? It's about humbling yourself. It's about putting others' interests above my own. Just because I'm okay or this, you have to remember that we do not live in an island alone. People see our, people are affected by your actions, by the decisions that you make, especially for those who are older. And you, when you are a teacher, a youth group teacher, when students see you, especially if they see you in a bar or they see you doing some, some things, and I'm being, I'm being very specific here today in, in today's message, it doesn't mean that go ahead and live however you want in the way that I want. Actually, as pastors, it's one of the hardest paths because, again, it's a life not of my own. But it's God, how can I honor you? And am I, am I hindering anyone? My words, my actions, what I'm doing in secret when no one is watching, am I hindering anyone? That is the mindset of Christ. That's humility. And Paul goes on in verse 5 to 11. He teaches us to have the mind of Christ, the mind that Christ Jesus had, that Jesus Christ, he is God. In all of his glory, he gave up his divine rights so that he can become a human being, a baby, infant, so that he can live not a life of luxury and royalty, not born in Rome Empire, in the castle, but he was born in a manger in Bethlehem among the poor with the shepherds. Shepherds were the outcasts of society at that time. Those first people, first group of people to witness Jesus, his birth, were the shepherds. And we see the life, the life, the example, the servant leadership of Jesus Christ. That is the mindset of Christ. We see in verse 5, verse 5 to 11, let's go ahead and read. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We understand Christianity is all about the upside-down kingdom. The rich become poor, the poor become rich. The proud becomes humble, the humble will be lifted high. And that's what happened here. Follow the example of Christ. 
he made himself nothing in human likeness. He did not consider equality with God. But he was God, it says, in verse 6, who being in very nature, God. Therefore, God exalted him, verse 9, to the highest place, that every name should bow, every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the incarnation, that's the word. We've talked about this as a church. The incarnation of Jesus Christ becoming a human, a baby, is the ultimate example of humility. Jesus, fully God, came to earth, born as an infant, lived a life of suffering on earth to love us, to heal us, to save us, to die on the cross for us, for you. Why? To to save us from sin that leads to death, to hell for all of eternity. I mean, to have an understanding of incarnation. I don't know if you guys remember, in Thailand we were talking about incarnation and do you guys remember the little baby, Mimi? I forget the other girl, Mimi and everyone's looking at someone name. No, no, not her. There's <laughs> another, uh, Mimi and, oh, I forget the other girl. But Mimi was so cute, like she like captured my heart. It's like, come, come, and she came up. And then, you know, when you talk to a baby, you don't like start like talking like as an adult, right? You start talking what? Like as a baby language. You go, oh, hey, Louis. you start going, go, and you start talking in their level. And that's what incarnation of Jesus Christ is. Humbling himself to speak to humanity. Christ, he laid aside his heavenly privileges for us. For our sake, he became a human being to save us, that those who believe in his name, that even in his humanity, fully God, fully man, he laid aside his divine rights and he lived a servant life to die on the cross for us so that we can have life for all of eternity to be, from, to be free from death. Therefore, how dare we in this short life that we have Again, our life is just a drop in the ocean. Bring selfishness and division in the church. How is this possible as believers of Christ? We say things like, it's my decision, it's my body, it's my choice, I can do with it whatever I please. But Paul, he reminds us over and over again in 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, verse 20, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. To have division is not the mind of Christ. Imagine if all of us truly lived with one mind, one spirit. Imagine if we were all knit together in harmony to love one another, to have, to follow humility to example of Jesus Christ. Imagine what a church would look like. This isn't something that we do only one time. This is a continuous thing that we need to keep on doing. We cannot forget. We need to remind ourselves to have division is not the mind of Jesus Christ. Jesus could not stand the division of the people. Rich there, the poor here. Jews here, Samaritans there. Males here, literally, except for Kusanin. Males here, females there. 
adults here, children there. You know, during the Lord's Supper in Corinthians, we see Paul saying, look, this should not be. The rich people will refuse to eat with the poor because somehow they're just dirty and they're not as clean as us. And, but we are all together as family of Christ, whether rich, whether poor, we're in it together. That is the mind of Jesus Christ. During seminary years, I had to do a um, homeless shelter. I did one in Newark, and I did that for a few months, uh, half a year. And um, I remember I met a guy, his name is Lewis. He was living there. He was, a, he was homeless. Now he's working there, and he's making his way out. And, but he was a staff, one of the staff. But again, he's not like a paid main staff, but he's just there, and he's living there for free. And he's a young guy. I think he was younger than me. Uh, I think maybe two years younger, so he was like maybe like 20, 21 uh, at that time. But I remember, you know, I got to know him. You know, we got close, and and then I remember, you know, you go to the kitchen. There's cockroaches, and you know, it's not the cleanest place, right? It's just, it's it's not the place where you wanna. But we would, we would do kitchen work, we would do duty work, and we would just do different work. And and um, and over time, uh, as we're doing it. Uh, the staff, they would go to Subway, and they would buy sandwiches, and they would eat. But, you know, they would eat the food that's made in the kitchen. And Louis, as he's eating, they'd be like, oh, come. You know, the, other, the, the, main, the main staff, the pay staff, the professional staff, they would come, and they'd be like, oh, come, let's go eat. But I remember, like, you know, I just wanted to just kind of eat with him, eat with the food. And, again, it was just once a week. And, and for me, it just, just wanted to be with Louis and just spend time with him. And that's the kind of mindset of what it means to have the mind of Christ. It's not just thinking it, but it's about putting it to action. Even when no one is watching. So again, to have the mind of Christ, it means that there cannot be division in the church. It's not possible. Romans 15, verse 5 to 7 says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So the mind of Christ is unity. It's humility, it's self-giving, it's selflessness, it's self-sacrifice. Be like-minded in Christ. That's what it means. And that's part one of the life-giving church. We need to all have the mind of Jesus Christ. That's number one. Number two, continue to work in Christ. Continue to work in Christ. It's like the phrase, it's time to get to work. You know, Western Christianity has become a comfortable Christianity. Now it's all about the rest. We hear about message about rest, right? Love, and those are good. Yes, those are all good things. Yes, it's true. Matthew 11 says, Come all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But this generation, and including me, we have become a lazy and a performance-based generation we have all talent but not much faithfulness and heart 
And we are so used to just hearing good performances. You know, worship leaders, they just love, they're good, they're really good, they're talented. But faithfulness and heart is nowhere to be found. David was a man who could play instrument, he could play, he could do many things. He was a warrior, he could do many things. But his heart was always a step above everything else, all of his talents. Praise team, I say it all the time, worship team leaders, it doesn't matter how talented you are. If your heart, it's always your heart is the best. It has to be a step forward always. But that doesn't mean you, your talent has to stink right, forever, right? You have to improve. But as you improve, the hard part is making sure that your heart is always a step ahead. And as you get better, your heart, that is beautiful. That's what it means to have, to worship God with your heart. The moment you allow your talent and you allow your ways, your ways, your smarts and your ways of, of doing things and, and the way that you are and the, the gift and the talents that God gives you, if that goes forward, then you become proud and eventually you will fall. Meaning it's time to get to work. It's time to work. We need to work. As Christians, we need to continue to work in Christ. Proverbs 6 is a very, it's an amazing proverb. Like, go ahead and read. It's really funny, but it says, it's all about, like, people who are lazy. And it says, go to an ant. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider his ways and be wise. It's like, learn from an ant, you sluggard. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When it's time to get to work as Christians, as believers in Christ, we cannot wait for it to happen to us, but we need to go after them. Let's look at verse 12 to 13. It says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Pause your mind them. Listen, not when I'm present with you, but even more in my absence, now much more in my absence, you need to do better. It's like when the team, when we go on missions, we tell the people who are left behind, Angela, what we, we tell you to do? Just relax and be cool or what? What? Stay sharper than if we were here, right? And, and it's true because when we were gone, you know, we had the incident with Jerry and even in the past, we had incident with gun, with the helicopter, the emergency helicopter, we have to come in. I mean, we need to be even more sharper. Not, not only when I'm here or someone's here, but when someone is gone, Paul is saying, in my absence, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Again, don't get this passage twisted and confused. This passage is not in reference to salvation by works. The Greek meaning says to work out. It means to keep going. It means don't stop until it comes to its full completion. 
meaning keep going, keep fighting. That's why in Philippians chapter 3, later we're going to talk about in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straying toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is something that we are called to do consistently. And again, the context is what? Paul, he is in prison as he's saying this. He's saying, I press on toward the goal. He hasn't stopped. His mindset is not lazy. He's not, it's not finished yet. Even in death, even in life, no matter what happens, I'm going to work. I'm going to continue to work in Christ. This passage is a reminder to us as church, as Christians, to take ownership in our active pursuit after God's desires. God he is sanctifying us to have his desire in Christ. It's to have his desires, to have the desire of God. We need to have a healthy desire to honor God. When God's desires become my desires, we start living in fear and trembling. And when I say fear and trembling here, it's not talking about like I'm afraid of God or like he's going to destroy me. It's a healthy fear of God. It's healthy reverence towards God, to the holiness of God. It is a desire to love Jesus Christ more today than I did yesterday. It's hating sin more today than I hated sin yesterday. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. What does it say before that? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue. For it is God, when it says in verse 13 that it is God who works in you, it's saying that it is God that brings the fruition of the right desires of your life. That every deed, every act, every goodness is by God, is by faith alone. And when we delight in God, as it says in Psalm 37, that he will give the desires of our heart, the key is that God has to be in the center of our heart. It doesn't mean God gives you your desire to want a, I don't know, Mercedes, and he gives it. But if God is in the center, you will pursue the right things, right? The right things, the, the desires that is right and, and correct and that is holy before him. A lot of times you realize that my desires, the desires that I want, are really motivated by myself and selfishness, and a lot of them are not from God. So he says, take the light in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We realize our desires are not God's desires, but of selfishness. I mean, I know it's, look, I know this is a hard message, but please bear with me. Let's keep going. Like I said, in the end, it's going to make a full circle, and we're going to have understanding. But stay with me. Let's go a little deeper with point number two. Continue to work in Christ. I'm going to flip the coin a little bit and go a little deeper. And I want to talk to you about what many pastors will now speak to you about. Okay, let's go a little deeper. 
When we do not work hard in the kingdom of God, and this includes, this especially includes for pastors, people who serve in the church, who work in the church. So I'm speaking to myself. This is for every Christian, every believer, every individual who are attending a church. When we do not work hard in the kingdom of God as Christians, the danger of apostasy creeps in. The impenitent life. What do I mean by impenitent life? The unrepentant life. Going to the place of no return is a place where we will all go if we do not keep our faith in check. No human is exempt from this. That's why it says, every day, pick up the cross and follow me. Apostasy, the definition is deliberately, as a Christian, deliberately making a conscious choice, a decision to no longer follow after Christ. Impenitent meaning, not feeling shame, having no regret about your wrong, stubborn, unrepentant, remorseless. I've been in this place before, and I never want to ever go back to this place. Blasphemy, it means heart becoming so hardened to the point where your heart is no longer moved by God due to your continuous, I'm talking about in your homes, in your own private life, continuous rejection and rebellion against God. And that's what happened with, with Pharaoh. When it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, it, mean, it meant that God allowed his evil. It was already evil. His heart was already hardened. Remember when the plagues came? Pharaoh's heart was still hardened. God was giving him a chance for his heart, for him to repent and turn back. But Pharaoh was too hard. He went to a point of no return. And the result was no fear of God. Remember what we talked about? In verse 12 to 13, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you continue to be lazy and we continue to dive in our sin, you will have no fear. You will lose the fear of God. And when you lose the fear of God, it says Blackaby, Pastor Blackaby, he says when you lose the fear of God, you lose the fear of sin. And when you lose the fear of sin, you're headed for judgment. Meaning the more you know, the more you'll be held responsible. The more you know, the harsher the judgment. And we learn about what happened with Eli and his sons, that the Bible says they were punks, they were crooks, they, were, they had no reverence, they had no fear of God. They were casual in the approach to God. They were actually sleeping with women at the outside of the temple. I mean, these are priests we're talking about. We're talking about priests. That's why in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 14, it says, Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. They went to a place of no return. Hebrews 10, 26 to 31, If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
Mark 3, whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of eternal sin. John chapter 6, verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer follow him. I want you to look at your life right now, the friends that you have, people you've grown up with. How many of them, how many of the friends that you started church with are still with you and walking faithfully? I'm talking about faithfully in the truth, with you, side to side, in the gospel. Here's the truth and the reality of the gospel. God loves you, right? And pastors preach on this, it's good. You know, when we go to a nursing home, we preach on this. God is good, and God loves you. That is a fact. This is the reality. This is the gospel, John 3.16. We believe in it. There's actually nothing you can do or cannot do for God to love you any more or any less. God set the earth set in motion and rotation at the right degree of axle. Earth tilted this way, this way. It will freeze or burn. He set it perfectly so that it could sustain a human life, just so that he can create us, love us, give us a name, a purpose, to know him, to be known by him. And Psalms reminds us that he knew us before we even came to be. When I was in my mother's womb, he had a plan for me. But here's the flip side of that. The wrath of God is also very real. When I say the wrath of God, I'm talking about his wrath against sin. The Bible says that God loves us, but the Bible also says that he abhors, he hates sin. Holiness and sin cannot mix. That's why when you read the Old Testament, you see the things that these people had to do to enter the holiness of God, it was, it was nuts. Because God was trying to prove a point that you are, a, you are full of sin and I am a holy God. And that's why we needed a mediator, Jesus Christ. The wrath of God is real. The Bible says the Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Hardy eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that run or quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. And this is the scary reality of the gospel, that God loves you, but he also hates sin and those who pursue after sin. And I say that very carefully, right? Again, the Lord abhors Sin, those who love violence, Psalm 11, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. But the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. I mean, that's a scary passage. And another passage that I've been reflecting on and that scares me is Matthew 25, where he separates the goat and the sheep, the sheep to the right, the goats to the left, I mean, I don't know what you guys think about when you read this, but oh, I get afraid. Am I a goat? Am I a sheep? But here's how we differentiate the goat and the sheep. 
It says in Matthew 25, verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will, the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Meaning what you do for your brothers and sisters, you're doing it for Christ. That's how you can tell between a sheep and a goat. Then he will say to those on his left, to the goats, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when do you see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes? Or, or sick or in prison and did not help you. He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Remembering point number two, continue to work in Christ. When I say work, continue to do good work for the least of these, for your brothers and sisters, for in that way, we can be a life-giving church. As Christians, you must take ownership and become active in, in doing the right things and ask God for the right desires. And what is God's desire? What is his desire? We read it in Matthew 25. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. That is God's heart. That is God's desire to care for the vulnerable. And why should we as Christians care and be concerned for the vulnerable? Because God loves them. Because God cares for them. God is introduced over and over again in the scripture as a defender of the weak. Three categories that God, he looks after are children, the poor, the sick, and the widows. The poor, the sick, they go in the same category. How God introduces himself in the scriptures, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. Again, widows have no power at that time. Tim Keller says this, that we do justice when we give all human beings their due as creations of God. So justice, mishpat. Righteousness, deka. We understand that justice is to care for the vulnerable. Mishpah is a word that is mentioned over a hundred times, over and over again, all throughout the Old Testament. So if we do not do the right things, if we do not, then that is a sign 
that maybe we're not growing in God. It's a sign. A sign that you're growing in God is that you walk in justice. Matthew 25. You know, I would like to say I was a good kid when I was young. You know, I don't know. It's a mixed thing. You could ask my friends. There are times where I have candies. I had two same candy. And then, you know, my mother specifically told me, share, give the other candy to the other person. And I literally, this is what I did. I had two, bo- two bags of candy. I opened one and I gave him one and then I took the rest. But at the same time, I also have memory where I was in the market in Korea and like I was, I was so little and walking and, you know, I would see this lady and she has no legs, right? She has this leather thing covering it and she was selling herbs and I was young and I was like, you know, I love candy and, and chips and all that stuff. Korean chips are like drugs, right? Anyways, normally I would go, I want to buy chips and things, but what happened was I went up to her and I said, can I have some money? And I don't know why. And I remember this vividly. I gave the money. I, I don't know what herbs I bought. I don't even know. But I just wanted to help her. And I gave, uh, gave, the, gave, the money, uh, gave the money and I bought it because I had that heart. That is pure. That is justice and the right desire of God. That, that's what it means to continue to work in Christ. Amen? Amen. Good job, everyone. Number three, last point, and this one's short. We're almost done, we're almost done. Hang in there with me. Ready? Number three, do everything without grumbling for Christ in Christ. In other words, do everything without grumbling. In Christ, do everything for Christ. Let's take a look at verse 14 through 18. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. One of the things that God detests is a grumbling heart. And you see it all throughout scripture, especially in the Old Testament. In the story of Exodus, we see the Israelites, they're complaining in the desert. They're wanting to go back to Egypt. So whenever you see Egypt in the Bible, it means it's going back to your old life. Right? It's a place where you do not want to be. It's like Babylon or Egypt. It's a symbolism. It's not the actual place. I'm not hating on Egypt. I'm talking about the symbolism in the scripture. Remember, they were once what? Israelites were slaves. But now that they are free people, and this is what happens to free people, right? we don't know, we don't have the foundation, and we start thinking crazy thoughts. They wanted to go back. They started grumbling and arguing to God. It says in Exodus chapter 16 that in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat. And again, they're thinking crazy things and ate all the food we wanted. Really? You were slaves. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Are they forgetting that God is providing them with quail and manna, with water from the rocks? That there are free people now, and the desert is a temporary place. It's not forever. 
They were going to the land of Canaan, the promised land, which is Israel. That was the land that is promised for them. But they're complaining, they're grumbling, they actually want to go back. Numbers 14 says, That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. They're crazy. They're crazy. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. The audacity of them to want to go back and to grumble to God. Remember this, if a church is marked by these things, okay, as a church, as a deep roots church, if we're marked by these things, or any church complaining, arguing, gossiping, sexual impurity, lies, hypocrisy, living a double life, not living in integrity, especially as the pastor, the church is in a very dangerous place. Remember this. The word of God is life, is our food, is our source of life, is what provides us wisdom, the conviction. Holy Spirit convicts us to do the right things. The word of God is the answer to our everything, everything. That's why it says in Colossians 3, and mission team, you guys know this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance, inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. These virtues, rejoicing always, praying continually, giving thanks, it has nothing to do with your riches, with the money or the amount of money or how much status we have in the society, in your bank account. Whether we are rich or whether we're poor, for God gives and he takes, we are called to honor the integrity, the moral will. We talked about the moral will. The moral will of God in our lives, the integrity, honesty, righteousness. You have to do this well first. Better to be an honest, broke individual than a crooked, rich individual. Right? Better is a poor man who walks with his integrity, blameless. Integrity means blameless than a rich man who is crooked in his ways, perverse. And we understand that we are called to do everything for Christ without grumbling for Christ in Christ. And we, are, we should not be found in the position where we are grumbling, complaining, arguing, gossiping, you know, and the members and bringing sexual impurity, lies, hypocrisy, deceit. Now these are all, I'm just saying these categories as if these are easy things. It's not. It's, this is very difficult and sensitive things. Each one, each and every single one. Many of us rely multiple times a day. We are in a relationship where there's gossip. Sometimes you're talking about something and it's a, it's a borderline gossip and it's dangerous. And we sometimes argue without even knowing that we're arguing, right? 
But when we see these things, it's a, it's a sign that we're in a dangerous place. Now, does that mean our church is perfect? No, we are far from it. But at least we are aware of it. And if you're aware of it, then we will do better in catching it quicker. A lot of times we, we see these things and we just let it boil and we just let it happen. And then we realize later it becomes this monster and it destroys the church. That's why in everything that we do, you must do it without grumbling for Christ in Christ. Let's look at the verse 14 to 18. Closing with this, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And that's why I talked about the word of life. The word of God is our life. The word of God is the answer to our everything. That's the only way that we can solve these problems. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is saying, I could give all myself to you with love, and I don't mind. He's having the mind of Christ. As the leader, he's saying, look, I'll sacrifice myself for you. No problem. And it's not in vain. He actually says, you should, you should be glad and rejoice with me. It's not just me doing it, but you should do it for one another. And that's the only way that we can be a life giving church. You want to be a life-giving church? Then we have to follow the word, the scripture, the word of God, for the word of God is God. We cannot do it according to what I want or when a pastor preaches on a message to twist his own agenda to fit what he wants to preach to you. We need to allow the word of God to be our main authority and that's the only way can we truly be a life giving church. Amen? So let's go over the points real quick. Uno. Number one. What's number one? Be like-minded in Christ. Okay. Number two? Continue to work in Christ. Okay, good. Number three? Amen. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. Just close your eyes with me. Father, thank you for teaching us just what it means to be a church, a life-giving church. God, we grew up just over the years, just growing up in churches, uh, experiencing brokenness and members leaving in the wrong way. And we've seen our group of friends leaving because their family had to leave or pastors leaving, getting fired or getting kicked off and we see churches splitting apart we see everything all these different things that that's happened around us and when we really ask God for this generation God is there really hope for the future generation for this new generation God we look at some of us God we are teachers and I hear from teachers God we see these young students who are living their life outside of the gospel they don't even know who God is and they it's just a story that they've heard in, in, in the Bible or just what they've heard growing up in, in elementary and 
and it hasn't become a reality to them. We see the scariness and the reality of the gospel. God, in this generation, that God, that if we do not step up right now, right now it's already too late. But it's not too late yet. But it's getting to that point, God, where it's becoming scary in the times that we're living in, the place that we are living in. Lord, we realize, God, that if your word and your truth doesn't speak to us, if we're just playing Christianity and we're just playing this religion, then, God, there is no hope for our generation. But we know that, God, in the end, God, that you are a God of hope. You are a God of courage. You are a God of confidence. You are a God that brings light to darkness. So, God, I pray, God, that if others will, re will reject and will walk away from you, I pray, God, that you will start with us, with this small group of people who are seeking your face. Father, I pray, God, that you instill within us conviction, the truth to live a godly life. And God, I read the psalm in the beginning of prayer in Psalm 12. It says, help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips but harbor deception in their hearts. May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. Those who say, by our tongues we will prevail, our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? They have lost the fear of God. Outside they look good and they want to look good. They look like they want to help. But inside is full of deception in the hearts, God. That is the generation that we're living in. But Lord, we are crying out to you. Those who are poor in spirit are crying out to you. He says in verse 5, because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who are them. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible like gold refined seven times. Remember, the word of God is our hope. The word of God is our food, is our drink, is our foundation. For the word of God is God, is Jesus Christ. You, Lord, will keep the needy safe. Remind yourself that he will protect you. If you're needy today, if you're broken today, if you're poor in spirit today, and if you're hungry for the word of God, he will protect you, he will keep you safe. He will protect us forever from the wicked who freely strut about when what is vile is honored by the human race. So God, we are reminded today that your truth will always prevail, that there is no evil, no evil act or thought that will go unpunished. For you are a God who upholds sin, abhors sin, but you're also a God full of justice and love. So God, for those who are humble, for those who are willing to humble themselves, for those who are willing to repent of their sins, God, you come to their rescue. You rescue the brokenhearted. You rescue the children, the poor, the sick. You rescue the widow. You rescue the least of these, and you have called us to honor and to love the least of these. So Jesus, I ask right now, that won't you start with this church? Won't you start with us? Start with us, God. Start with us. Start with me. Start with me. 
If my friends won't follow you, I will follow you. If my friends won't live with integrity in Christ and for Christ, if I'm the only one, I will do it. Even if I'm the only one lifting my hands in my boat, when even if I'm the only one in this generation, God, I will lift up my voice and worship you. God is calling you. God is calling me. God is calling our church and this generation. God is calling you specifically to hear this message, to live a different life that is different from what you have experienced, from what you have seen. Know the truth. Know the truth of God and live for Him. If I'm going to have one life, God, I'm going to live it all for you. Even if my family are not on the same page, even if my my family are against me of going to church and following you, even if I'm the only family member to lift up my hands and worship, let it be so. But Lord, use me. Use me to reach my friends. Use me to reach my family. Use me to be the light and the salt in my family, in this generation, in our workplaces, in the place where you have called us. God, help this church, this deep roots church, to be a life-giving church, oh God. There are too many broken churches. There are too many broken leaders who are compromising, who are living just for themselves. I pray, God, that you instill within us integrity and hope and perseverance and character. Let it be born by faithfulness, not by talent, oh God. We don't care about performances. You don't care how good we sound. You look at the heart and you choose from the heart. You are looking down right now and you are looking at our hearts and you are seeing our hearts, our desire, our pure devotion towards you, oh God. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, let it be pleasing in your sight, oh God. If there's any sin that is within me, any compromises within me, God, I come and I come and I repent, oh God, and I humble myself. Here I am, O Lord. Wash me with your blood. Wash me today. Transform me. Right now, can we just pray? Just pray between you and God. If you need to repent, repent. If you need to cry out to Him, cry out to Him. Don't worry about who's sitting next to you. This is between you and God. This is your life. Your life. One life, one chance. Can we just pray to Him and seek His face this afternoon? Let's pray together.
Remembering Jesus Christ, who set the ultimate example of what it means to be humble. In your relationships with one another, in your relationships with one another, church, I'm speaking to you, we're speaking to to one another, we need to speak to each other. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Cross meaning the ultimate punishment the ultimate humiliation, the ultimate pain that any human can perform on another human, even death on a cross, symbol of a curse. Now it's a symbol of hope because Christ overcame death and he resurrected. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, as a small church, as a small and starting off church, deep root church, Lord, let us be marked by your truth. Yes, you may not have the lights and all the things that the world wants and what the world looks at, but Lord, one thing that I know and I believe with all my heart that we have is you, Lord. You are our foundation, that you are our life. You are our food, you are everything, and that is why we are here today through trials and suffering and everything that we've been through and you are the one that holds us together. You are the one that upholds me, oh God, to give me the reason for the hope that I have today. That I can live faithfully, victorious, to go against sin, to fight against temptations, through through Jesus Christ, through you, through your word, only through you can I overcome. Only through your foundation can we be, can the Deep Roots Church be a life-giving church. Let us remember the context. Paul, he is in prison. He doesn't know whether this is his end or maybe he might get out. He doesn't know. 
but let us remember the words that we went over last week to live is Christ and to die is gain even in death I will follow you even in life I will follow you either way God I will honor you no matter what season situation prison hunger blessing blessing upon blessing whatever we have for God you give and you take away your name is to be praised your name is to be praised no matter what I'm going through for it's all about you and it's for you it's for your kingdom and for your glory oh God let us be a life giving church teach us your ways O Lord to walk in your truth let's pray together Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation. Then you will shine like stars among the universe as you hold firmly to the war of life, to the war of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like during offering, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Father, thank you for reminding us today what it means to be a life-giving church, to be a church that truly honors your name and your glory, and to be united, to be one in spirit, to have the same mind, to be like-minded in Christ, to have your mindset, and to work in Christ, to work in Christ, and to do everything without grumbling for Christ in Christ. We honor you today. We love you. Let this word not just go from one year to the other, but Lord, let it go right now into the depth of our hearts. Let it be like sponge to soak up your word that as we are squeezed this week with trials and temptations, that God, that your word will come forth and bring life, and that we'll be victorious in every temptation, in every attack of the enemy. And even if we do fall, and we will fall, for we are all human beings, and we will fall, God, we do not remain down in guilt and shame. But we get back right back up. Though a righteous man falls seven times, that number seven is completely, and we will always fall. But though he or she, they rise again. We rise again. Through Christ who strengthens us, through the blood that was shed for us, we will look to you, Jesus, so that each week, as each year passes, that we love you more today than I did last year, God. That I hate sin, that as you abhor sin, that I will also abhor sin more today than I did last week. Help us to grow continuously and to grow in the knowledge and in the truth, but at the same time, let us keep our hearts in check. Let us not grow too proud for our own good. And when we do, oh God, humble us. But before you humble us and we are embarrassed, let us humble ourselves first and go walk to you in humility. For God, that is a chance you have given us over and over again all through our lives. 
Thank you for the truth. Thank you for the food that you have given us. Let us not be like infants craving spiritual milk, but let us munch on the actual food, the word of God, and to grow in our knowledge and our love with you, God. We thank you. We love you. Pray all these things in your precious Son. Jesus Christ, I pray, and God's people pray. Amen and amen.